The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell trying to pick a microphone up that just went tumbling like slowly and loudly all at the same time. Moments before we go live here on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover three. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, and hit that notification bell. Why? Because then you will be able to get all the videos. You'll never miss an episode. And you'll get an alert every single time that we go live so that you can come and join in on the conversation. Uh, It is Monday. It is time for a pun further review. DK is locked and loaded. And I'm very excited for this because – you know, we'll, we'll do our AP versus coaches, you know, and but the upon further review, this is going to be the some of the first time I've gotten to you know discuss a wild weekend in college football with you all uh, here. So, I mean, forget the audience. This is just Chip excited to hear Danny and Bud's takes, right? Like I, I'm coming uh, excited to advance the conversation from, you know, Penn State's loss, Caleb Williams, so so on and so forth. But we begin with a, a little bit of news here on this Monday afternoon. I f- figure we should hit it right off the top of the show. It is that Texas Tech is going to make a decision to fire Matt Wells. Uh, Texas Tech had one of the worst losses of the weekend, uh, at least in terms of getting shut out in the second half against a Kansas State team. The defense could not get off the field, and that was a game that would have made the Red Raiders bowl eligible. Uh, they were five and two going into it. And I hate to think that like one game would have totally swayed Matt Wells's future, but it sure looks like it. Cause you look at the rest of the schedule for the red Raiders. They got four games left and they will be underdogs in every single one of them. So I guess if you're Texas tech, you figure just let's go ahead and get out ahead of it. Uh, number one, first thing, what do we think about the move and Matt Wells' tenure in Lubbock? And then, of course, we'll advance uh, to the conversation in terms of uh, candidates for the job and where Texas Tech fits among some of the other jobs that will be looking for similar candidates. So what do we think about Wells' time with the Red Raiders? It, it just feels like the marriage there wasn't good, right? His results really weren't weren't all that bad. Um, the resume, I guess, if you look at some of the non-conference stuff, is a little bit empty. 
I can understand them wanting to to make a move. I I guess, uh, but I don't know. Like this, it doesn't scream to me. Hey, Matt Wells was doing such such a poor job that you had to fire him. I know Tom Fernelli, uh, who's not on the show today. He's, he's handling some family stuff. Um, you know, he noted maybe you make the move now because they're five and three, and uh, and what what happens if they do make a bowl? Then then it's actually harder to to fire the guy. We, we we've seen this. A couple times recently, where it's like, "Hey, we want to fire a guy. Better go ahead and fire him before he he somehow wins a couple games." Because in our estimation, as the power brokers, we don't believe the program is headed in the right direction, even if in the very short term uh, they're doing fairly well. And I should note, I mean, Texas Tech, uh, kind of depending on when you bet it, but for the most part, their season win total was four and a half this year. So, like, they hit their season win total to the over by Halloween. Now, you would probably tell me, Bud. It's a problem that their season win total is only four and a half, right? Like that—that's a problem in and of itself. But I—I I, I don't know, man. I don't think the guy's record said you—you you had to fire him. Maybe that's not a, a hot enough take to, to go viral. But I thought he was doing a whatever, no okay job, um, but not not a great job. To me, this is a this is a fan base. It's a little bit delusional about where they should be. Maybe more so than a lot about the reality of the situation. I think they're pining for the days of Mike Leach when they're out there having these signature wins, which is awesome. And they should pine for those days, but firing Matt Wells when they're five and three, isn't the answer. Like I feel bad for the players here. Again, it's like similar to what we talked about with USC. A lot of these teams, when you throw in the towel and your coach, this is confusing. It's hard to deal with, with the players in that locker room. And basically you're throwing in the towel in the season and like, all right, so what are you going to do? I didn't like that to me is the next question because I'm seeing some names that are out there that, and every school has to deal with this. I, I dealt with it when Florida State was in a head coaching search. You may think you can get in the hunt for some of these names that are out there, but I wouldn't be surprised a lot of these names that are out there are saying, well, hold on a second. Like Sonny Dykes, let me see what happens with the, uh, the SMU to the um, Big 12 here. Let me see what. Let me see if what the landscape looks like, and see if maybe my better job is here. A Kendall Bryles as an offensive coordinator. Maybe he says, "You know what? I'm gonna wait around for a better opportunity. Do I really want to go to this place that is really hard to win in Lubbock?" And I, it's it's just to me, it's I, I, to me, it was a bad fit personality wise. This is a fan base that thought they went from Mike Leach, and even though Cliff Kingsbury. Didn't have a good record. They loved that their beloved son had returned home, former quarterback. So they gave him a pass on his records. And then I don't know what the expectations were, but they didn't get the home run higher that they thought. So from day one, I think Matt Wells was fighting an uphill battle and he lost that battle today. I just think it was the real, uh, the expectations were unrealistic for the time of when they wanted those results delivered. Danny, I think you bring up a great point as well. How good is this job, right? It is still in the Big 12, but with Oklahoma and Texas no longer going to be in the Big 12, uh, I guess this is still a quote-unquote P5 conference, but for how much longer, right? Will this actually remain a P5 conference? I I know the work I've done on the recruiting side shows that they they recruit much closer to a G5 level than they do uh, as far as the the remaining members of the conference uh, than they do to the other Power 5 leagues if you take out Texas and Oklahoma. like, would you rather have this job or let's say if it comes open, which I'm not sure it will, uh, TCU or any of the new members of the league? Would you rather have this job or UCF or whoever else you know, just got added to the Big 12? It's a very difficult place to, to recruit to. I mean, Stillwater, which is where Oklahoma State is, is actually an hour closer to Dallas. Uh, this like Lubbock is an eight-hour drive from Houston. 
I I don't want to be in the business of telling programs they can't do things because stuff does happen, right? I never thought Baylor would bounce bounce back as quick as it did under Matt Rule. Uh, but Texas Tech, if you look at its history in my lifetime, in Danny's lifetime, it's been nationally relevant for probably what, Danny? What are you like mid forties? It's it's yeah. been re- relevant for like two of Danny's life like lifetime years ever, basically. Mm-hmm. That's I don't know what they really expect there. Maybe more consistently going to bowl games, but. Maybe they expect to compete for a conference title in the new Big 12. Maybe that's reasonable. I, I don't know. But if you think about division-wise, and I know I'm, I'm running long here, if they go geographical divisions, are they going to be in the same division as Kansas and Kansas State? Because if they lose those two games, not that Kansas State's a gimme win. They just lost to them over the weekend uh, in sort of embarrassing fashion the way it went down. But if you don't get to play Kansas every year, they actually could have a somewhat of a tougher draw at times in division or in league rather than they do now, which also makes this thing tough. I, I don't know. This I, I have some guys I think would be good fits there, but I don't even know if they should take it. Well, th- before we uh, we get to candidates, I do think that it's a cautionary tale for someone who is an outsider by any stretch. Um, who are we talking about with Matt Wells, former Utah State quarterback, spent about a decade at Utah State, first as an assistant, then as a head coach. The guy was Mountain West Coach of the Year twice. When he was hired by Texas Tech, I think the hire was applauded. I think that a lot of people looked at Matt Wells as a rising stock, and with the fact that he's a good offensive coach, there was the, you know, you put two and two together, and you said, you know, what? he can show up at Texas Tech, he can get some skill, position, talent, and he can really make things work. So you have to, I think, really sell to your potential candidates. And when we're, you know, going through this discussion, that you are going to know. Lubbock, you are going to know Texas high school football. You're going to have the connections to be able to uh, maximize whatever you can do uh, there at the Red Raiders. And then to the point about after conference realignment, I think if you're Texas Tech, you have to say, even if you're lying to yourself and you mentioned the delusional fans, but you have to say that once Texas and Oklahoma are gone, we've got to, we've got to fight early to make sure that we're not just trading out uh, one mom and dad for another where like some of these new arrivals come in and start running the big 12. And just because you're Texas tech, you still end up being the automatic W like for a Texas tech for a Baylor, you mentioned TCU and man, that this season has been really, really poor on the defensive side of the ball. Gary Patterson side of the ball. If you're one of these remaining big 12 programs, you've got to be uniquely motivated for the new big 12 era to try and make sure that as everything's shaken up, that you get up there and you do compete for conference championships. I do. I'm curious. We spend a lot of time on Texas Tech and Matt Wells, but I am curious if they have something done, if they have something they've been working on. Uh, The name that I gave before is Sonny Dykes. I mean, he played baseball at Texas Tech. Dad's a legend there, Spike Dykes. That one makes a lot of sense. But not knowing Sonny Dykes, like he's building up something pretty special there in the Dallas metro area. And again, if – because I don't think they're done adding to the Big 12. I think they might – you know, SMU – is a target, I would think, for any conference to say, all right, what what are we doing with this one? Where if you're in a similar situation as far as it pertains to playoff access, I wouldn't be shocked if if Sonny Dyke said, No, I'm good where I'm at, where I'm already building. But who knows? Maybe it's our maybe he's maybe he's got his eyes on that. He wants to return home and be that beloved son like they had in Cliff Kingsbury. What would Sonny Dykes take this job? Obviously, the family. Well, that's connection what I'm there. like. That's yeah. why I don't know. I don't think it's a better. I don't think it's like a major upgrade. A now, couple years ago, maybe it would have been, but now they're they're having like unprecedented success. Like 
the amount of wins, the kind of the rankings that we're seeing, we haven't seen some from SMU since the 80s, since they were put on probation and given the death sentence. So he's building something up there. I don't know if you would want to walk away from that. Hey, Dave, what about Jeff Trailer at UTSA? Yes. Like that's, it's almost like when it's going on, if you're Texas Tech, he's like, let's just go get him. Come on. Like that's, you're going to have to wait till the end of the year. But I, I think Jeff Trailer would be an excellent hire. Mm -hmm. You know, Here's the other thing with, with, with Dykes, just before, before I go on trailer. SMU's not going to the Big 12, right? Not as of now, but we don't know. Memphis sure. is what I always heard, heard is like the next domino, but I don't know what would be the other team that would also be paired with um Wouldn't with you Memphis. think it would be a target, though? Well, they have so much Texas already, right? Like you already have Dallas in, in the Metro, or excuse me, you already have TCU sort of in the Metroplex there. I, I, how much more Texas do you want? You could add Memphis, which is an easy place to fly all your athletes to. Um, you know, that's it, I think Memphis is a Delta hub, right? So, I mean, like you, you can fly in and out of there pretty easily. They they have a major airport. Um, I think Jeff Trader would be a tremendous hire for them if he'll take it, right? Which I assume he will. I, I let, let's let's go back to you know Seth Latrell and guys like that who have sort of overplayed their hand to some extent and didn't take the the jump. When they when they could have jumped, and now you're seeing what happened in North Texas with, with, with that loss uh, again this weekend, and that you know, I don't know these fire there, but can't imagine him him lasting much longer there. Uh, Trader's done a tremendous job at UTSA. He's extremely well connected in the state of Texas, recruiting wise, very respected. I, I think that would be a nice hire for those guys. Um, the other thing that we have to acknowledge here is there are definitely Texas Tech boosters. Uh, and this gets written up in the newspaper down there, the the paper of name I, I'm referencing. I, I actually forget what it is right now, uh, who constantly bring up Art Bryles. And while I don't think it's actually going to happen that you would get Art Bryles back coaching a Power 5 team, I just don't think in today's day and age you can do that, obviously, nor should you. What about Kendall or Jeff Levy? Right, If you want get, to get back to that super wide open stuff, Arkansas is having a nice offensive year. Ole Miss is having a great offensive year. That's about as close as you can get and actually, you know, having it pass the smell test, I guess. You I love the Bud Elliott coaching window theory. Have you written about it before? You wrote about it this year. We right? we did a uh, we we did a YouTube breakout video of it. Basically like like G5 coaches who kind of drink their own their own stuff a little bit too much, you know, don't get higher in their own supply like they think oh I can keep doing it here. No, man, it's hard to get those special level players at a G5 program year to year. That's why we see different teams win the MAC every single year, right? Like you're not going to be able to, unless you're at a, a program that probably has like P5 style recruiting resources, you know, a Sensi, a UCF, a Boise. If you're not at like one of those, you're not going to be able to keep that level going year after year yeah. after year. That's why we call them special years. I need, I need to uh, grab that from youtube.com slash cover three and send it to Jay Norvell because I feel like this yep. is, I mean, you're just, you're not going to have Carson Strong mm -hmm. Again, I mean, this is as high as the stock is going to get. And I don't know if Texas Tech is where he lands or if that ends up being the right fit. And from his own experience as a former Oklahoma assistant, he is going to know the Big 12 landscape. He's going to know Texas Tech. He's going to know recruiting in Texas. But um, he's he is my Bud Elliott coaching window open coach of the year, of this coaching cycle. And I'm looking at Jay Norvell and I'm saying, all right, which of these jobs are you going to say yes to or where are you going to land because this seems like the most opportune time to be able to make that kind of jump and have that opportunity uh, to be able to go and, and lead a Power 5 program. For sure. I, I, by the way, I do want to address something. In the comment section on that video, somebody said, what about Kalani Sitaki, right? He, he loses Wilson to the NFL. But I think BYU is a little bit different deal there, right? So mm -hmm. I, I don't know that it really applies mm -hmm. 
to that program due to some of the, the unique aspects of it. Okay. Um, Virginia Tech is still being led by Justin Fuente after the home loss to Syracuse. Is that surprising? No. His buyout drops in uh, like early to mid-December, I believe, each year of this contract. That's why last year when they called that press conference, if you guys recall, all the Vitek beat writers were like, oh, it's happening, it's happening. And then they they the school realized what the beat writers assumed, and then they had to send the follow-up email like, oh, no, we're not firing him, guys. We're just having a, a press conference to talk about National Signing Day. Um, I, I don't know. Unless you have somebody lined up, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense to pay more money to fire him mid-season. But Vitek's recruiting is terrible, and Fuente has never been known as a good recruiter. They do not recruit very well under him. I know it's a tough place to get kids to at times geographically, However, if you're going to recruit to this level, which is not very good, you better coach your butt off. And he is just his coaching has not been able to make up for the recruiting they've done there. I know they've had some injury issues too. It probably also doesn't help that Hooker is killing it for Tennessee, and you chose Burmeister over him. So, yeah, mm. it, I, I think he's done there. I think so too. And there's been so many issues too with the kids leaving. Just hasn't handled things well. I think it's I think the time is coming to a close there for uh, Fuente. Could he end up at Texas Tech? <laughs> I, I'm what? not. I mean, don't you think if because I def- Texas Tech, I would rather be taking a a Jay Norvell. I would rather deal with the blowback of a Kendall Bryles or rolling the dice on something like that. I would be thrilled to have hottest fit hottest fish grease jeff trailer uh, i don't i don't think that justin fuente making a uh holgerson like move you know i, I don't know if that's going to end up being something that's going to pop for the red raiders Mm-mm. plus if you're fuente I mean, would you take that right this second what if uh what if tcu opens no way that- he's got the connections there I know he's a former offensive coordinator at TCU, and that was one of the reasons we thought that he was a great offensive mind. But, but, buddy, the offensive stock ain't hot right now. Right. I mean, it's kind of like the window where you're hot. Like, this is the window where you're not, and it's hard to get a job anywhere. You might have to go, uh, you know, take it either a lower job or a coordinator job again to get it back. Yeah. Put me as uh, somebody who would think that Matt Wells as an offensive coordinator would be a good addition to a staff, and any head coach who needs to shake things up uh, should definitely be looking at that. All right, let's take a look at some of the teams where the opinions are very split across the voting landscape in the college football rankings. It is AP versus coaches. And we begin with the Penn State Nittany Lions, who tumbled all the way to number 20 in the AP poll, while in the coaches poll, Penn State was at 17. So a three-spot difference here. Coaches a little bit higher on Penn State. If you would like to take this time to voice your support, or displeasure with the new overtime rules after the uh, the nine overtime result uh, there in Happy Valley, feel free to do so. But I also think we've got an interesting look at a Penn State team where the, the profile itself has good wins, and yet I think the quality of the performance in the last five quarters might have you reevaluating what you think about the Nittany Lions. So uh, Penn State, are we more with AP or more with coaches? Are we higher or lower on the Nittany Lions? I'm, I'm more with the AP. The, the win over Auburn is, is solid, uh, but I'm not really sure what else on their schedule is supposed to impress me all that much. Uh, and if you sort of weight your, your stuff to more recent performance, I mean, Clifford is clearly not healthy. They, they look 
terrible against a flat-out bad Illinois team. Um, I'm going to go with with the AP here. I are they going to finish ranked? If they take if they lose uh, in the like round robin of the four teams in the Big Ten East, if they finish fourth, the answer is no. If yeah, they can get so. one off Michigan or Michigan State, then maybe. I fully expect Ohio State to uh, beat them by three touchdowns this weekend. I think they finished three and two, which would be eight and four, right? I mean, that's kind of what you were just saying. Um, I don't know. I'm probably more with the AP too. Can I get my overtime thoughts out of the way? Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. in the moment, I hated it, right? I'm, but but I kind of liked it. It was kind of like watching a car crash. It was just a, a you know, it was awful. The play, calling trick plays, drop passes. You know, Clifford has to make a really nice catch to turn it around. He drops it right back. Come back. Oh, look at that. Yeah, exactly. It's not the same without that Fornelli guy. That's right. Sucks without him. Um, I totally get it now because I am a – I hope Tom's watching this. I like to troll the soccer mafia that's out there, the patrol, the social media airwaves. <laughs> I, I don't watch a lot of soccer every few years, every four years. When it does happen, though, one of my favorite things to watch as a spectator is the shootout. When you have you know five free kicks, let's go. I get it from that aspect, but now I totally understand where the hardcore soccer fan says, well, that takes all the other elements out of the game and the the beauty of it. It becomes more of a crapshoot because that's what I felt like I was watching when I was watching the game. The sim- And there, see, this is the thing. They're not going to change it back, so I just better get used to it. So from that one, like if you just want to have some fun and go out there and roll the dice and see you can come up with a better trick play and see what goes on. I guess it's entertaining. I don't like it as far as determining the better team. I think you'd be way better served. And Tom has actually mentioned this a couple of times. I think we're on the same page. Move it back, move the overtime, keep the same rules, but move them back to the 40. Let the kicking game become a little bit more of a crapshoot. If you don't get that first down, then it's a longer kick. College kickers aren't great. Then it kind of, it'll, it'll weed itself out. You're not going to have seven overtimes if you start at the 40 yard line. It just won't happen. So I, I really don't like this rule at all. I understand the excitement of it from a TV executive perspective. It's yeah. great. You get, you get to run a commercial between each two-point try. Like that, <laughs> That's a moneymaker right there, man. Like let, let's more, more of this. Why don't we just have everything be this, right? Uh, look, I, I love the, the idea of the shootout as far as the excitement of it. But I do think it sort of punishes teams who are not great like goal line teams. And football is played in a lot of different ways. I think you should start with the ball at your own 45, right? To where you need to get two first downs to have a long shot field goal attempt. That would end it pretty quick because I guarantee you somebody will get a stop there and you will have more games in in 3-0 and it'll end more quickly. If you get a touchdown, that's almost certainly going to win it, right? You'll maybe have a couple games that go 3-3 with with the tie. But like I think that we need to, to decide the football game with the full experience of football as opposed to just like there are teams that are really not very good in the open field who happen to be really damn good down there on the goal line. And I'm like, wait, that's not really rewarding. Like what, why are we punishing teams who are maybe not great goal line teams? If the game doesn't end in regulation, I I think we should have a format that shows your full complement of skills or weaknesses in order to decide the football game, or at least just do this during a regular season. Like Tom said, I think on, on the, uh, on the instant show on Saturday late night, and then come the postseason or ch- any kind of championship game, let's let's go to some real like football decider. Mm-hmm. My uh, 
lingering thought on Penn State and the overtime rules is that that is the most alarming thing is that Penn State could not get those yards. The the fact that Penn State, uh, while Penn State's offensive line has struggled against better opponents throughout much of the season and something that we should associate with it, you are a Penn State team that had college football playoff hopes, a top 10 Penn State team, and you couldn't go get those yards. I'm Listen, much love to the, the many, many Penn State fans who work with us at CBS Sports, and I'm sure that uh, I'm going to be hearing it on Saturday morning when we're gearing up for college football pregame. But if I'm James Franklin, looking at the talent on that roster and the fact that it was not able to go and get those yards, like that almost makes me be like, all right, well, you know what? Maybe this ain't it. Maybe I, maybe I will go take that LSU job. Maybe I will go take that USC job. It's got to be so frustrating as a football coach who drills goal line stuff all the time. But just to say we couldn't go get those yards, like maybe we're not good. You know, that is going to be an interesting thing uh, to continue to track because Penn State's weakness in not being able to get those yards against Illinois is going to make it very, very difficult to win against teams that win at the line of scrimmage like Michigan and Michigan State. uh, And Ohio State's just going to be tough anyway. All right, Penn State. Let's go to our next one, Auburn. The Auburn Tigers are ranked number 18 in the AP poll, number 21 in the coaches poll. So another three-spot difference. And hey, Penn State to Auburn, they played each other. So for the Auburn Tigers, this was a, a team that really got sorted around as a result of some of the other results that were going on there. They haven't played since the 38-23 to win against Arkansas. They will be playing, and one of the reasons why I wanted to point this out, they will be playing Ole Miss at home uh, in an interesting battle of the non-Alabama SEC West teams. So as we've got Auburn heading into week nine, uh, are you higher or lower on the Tigers? I'm higher. Uh, slightly. I mean, I, I think I have them what 17th. So like, this is pretty, this is pretty much the range Uh the, the close loss against Penn state looks a little bit worse after the last two weeks, but I do think that the Penn state team that this Auburn team faced uh, was, was better than the one we saw the last two weeks, obviously uh, with, without Sean Clifford or uh, without, uh, you know, Sean Clifford's health. You know, this is a pretty decent team. I'm, Waiting to see what's going on with all the Auburn stuff. I'm not sure if you guys saw that or if that's been in the, in the group chat. Like, who's going to play uh, this weekend for those guys? I don't. I don't think Harson. Uh, I don't think Harson addressed that in today's press conference. But there's a lot of stuff out there, like who they're actually going to have available against against Ole Miss this weekend. So I'm interested to see uh, if he does talk about that this week uh, or or not. But man, if they're healthy, I really like them this weekend to go and and, and knock off Ole Miss. I think that's the second best defense Ole Miss has faced. They can really run in the secondary. The defensive line has not been a big-time weakness. It's not really a strength, but it's not a, a weakness. They've done a nice job with Bo Nix. I don't think he's good or anything, but he's just not terrible uh, nearly as often as he was in the past. And they have two nice running backs. So I I think this – I don't know. I, I think the AP is probably right here. I'm with the coaches because we saw these two teams play each other and one of them won, one of them lost. I'm going to put the one that won ahead of the other one. What are we doing they're supposed to have two losses. I get the loss to Illinois. It's ugly. Can I get this off my chest, too? Because I don't think you have this in our, our AP conversation. So, how many losses does Oklahoma have? Oh, zero. And they're how getting How many jumped. does Bama have? Yes. Boy. By Bama, who was 
team going into the fourth quarter against Tennessee. And I get, I get that one is a, you know, Kansas, one of the worst teams in the country. I get it. And I get Tennessee is a little bit of an up year, like better, but Oklahoma didn't lose. They're, They're getting docked for a close win more. They're getting punished more than Alabama for losing as a 19 point favorite drives me nuts. And then the other thing I'm a little bit about Cincinnati just stays stagnant right there. They didn't look great against Navy. Like, if you're going to jump them, just put them over everybody. Just move all Bama up to two if you think they're so great. Or jump Ohio State over both of them. If you're going to be that flexible, it's just some of the things that are happening in the AP poll this year are absurd and don't make much sense whatsoever. I think that the conversation of comparing teams to Georgia is what's leading Alabama and Ohio State to gain more momentum and also the idea that Alabama and Ohio State are getting better. And then those are teams that we expect to continue to be uh, getting better as the season progresses. And it is, you're right, because it stood out to me. Oklahoma has a zero in the loss column. It's got eight wins. It is eight no. And yet, in the conversation about who can beat Georgia, Oklahoma does not have uh, as much weight as Alabama or Ohio State, which everyone just seems to be slowly moving up uh, along the way. I will say all that to say, I don't have confidence in the Sooners right now. I just don't think that uh, for all of the drama that the Sooners have given us this year, I'm not ready. I feel less confident in Oklahoma threatening for a national championship now, even after Caleb Williams uh, came in and has played so well. I I don't know what was up with Oklahoma's offense in that game (laughs) in the first half, other than the fact that basically Kansas played keep away against Mm -hmm. them. And I think they only had like three or four possessions. Uh, shout out to Kansas, by the way, for really coming out and doing some fun stuff. They, they got in like some single wing and ran the ball. And I don't think Oklahoma was ready for that. It took them about a half to really adjust to it. Uh, also, I, I, t- I talked about this on the, the lunchtime college ball hangout, which is 1130 Eastern on Tuesday. We, we kind of talked about each uh, each weakness for the contenders. Oklahoma is down three or four of their starters in the secondary right now. And. If you looked at that game, I went back and watched just the the Kansas offense part, which is because I hate myself, I guess. just want to spend my time doing that. Uh, man, they really forced those guys to come up and, and be active in run defense and tackle, and they struggled to do so. Uh, and so they really have like one more week, and then I think a bye week to get right before that finish of Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State. Like right now, Bama would wipe the floor with Oklahoma. Get with this current iteration of Oklahoma who have, who have these guys in the lineup. Right, that performance against Kansas was much worse than any performance Alabama has had this year. L- close win against Kansas on the road to me, much worse than you know close loss at Texas A&M. But that's they how still I think won. you justify the drop. But they sure still but, won. But like, what's the quality of play? Sure. But so still, if, if Alabama just plays Kansas eleven times, I mean, like, yeah. But you don't think Oklahoma could beat Texas A&M in College Station? Not right now. I think A&M would be. Oh, see, so yeah, but I can't. We can't guess that game. We have to go by what we've seen on the field. And here's where it matters. But we've and seen this is where to this now. Oklahoma secondary, who they have in there, is total we've seen crap. them win. We've seen them win. We've seen them win. Nobody's. They win with offense. Like offense wins now. I get it. Here's the okay. thing: why I don't have a problem keeping them at two or three or wherever you want to keep them ahead of Alabama. If we're right, they're going to lose. So why don't we let it play out in the field as a ranking system? Here's where the massive flaw is, and where if I was an Oklahoma fan, because. You could be laid back about it and say, well, if we went out, we control our own destiny, which is right. They will. But if they if they keep dropping things set up, they might be the four seed. And then and you're gonna then you're gonna get docked for being undefeated and you're gonna get penalized 
when you had a chance of advancing and getting Lincoln Riley's first win in a playoff if you were a two or a three seed in that spot. So that's if, where it does kind of matter where these rankings settle. And when you run the table and win all your games in front of you and that you're drinking, I think it's I think it sends a, a bad message to college football fans. All right, but hold up. If they run the table, they will have beaten in consecutive weeks Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State. They will not be the four seed. If an undefeated Oklahoma, there is just no possibility they're the four seed. I and do not also, care. Like you can make any argument you want. I will bet you any amount of money you want. Like I'll bet Danny's entire pension. An undefeated Oklahoma is not <laughs> going to be the four seed after running that after running that slate. It just I, won't happen. I don't know. Now, Bama's plays look, the if SEC they play Kansas slate, you know? game, sure. We'll you see. think it would be the fourth? I have doubts about whether they can do it and whether they can actually run the table, which is why I think you let it play out on right, the field as opposed to getting cute with it and saying, oh, well, let's move Bama ahead because they look better right now, right? Like uh, That's the problem I have with it. Let's let it play out as opposed to what potentially in the optics of it too give Bama a massive advantage if they keep rising the polls, guess what happens? They lose in a close game to Georgia in the SEC championship game. Up, oh, man, Bama looks good. Woo, they looked the part. They were right there toe-to-toe. We'll just go ahead and let them back in the playoffs again for the second time in this dynasty. I'm telling well, you, it's, it's setting up for it. A two-loss Bama? Yes. Getting back in the playoff? Yes. In a close game, closely, tightly contested game. No, but in the playoff. <laughs> and it might not be over an undefeated Oklahoma, but it might be a one-loss Oregon, or it might be you know another team that's out there. It could be a it could be a one-loss ACC champion. Wow, that's the ACC. They're awful, you know. Like it, they, if it sets up right, absolutely a, a two-loss Bama. I don't think I think an Oklahoma undefeated gets in all day long, uh, but I, I don't know. It's necessarily the case for somebody else. Speaking of a one-loss ACC champion, yeah, let's go. What there is a one-loss team. <laughs> that uh, that comes up next in our annual or weekly uh, look at the college football rankings from the opinion polls, the AP and the coaches poll. And it is the Pitt Panthers. Now, the writers, oh, they love jumping on a good Pitt bandwagon. The AP has Pitt at number 17. The coaches, well, they've just had too many bristling with uh, Pat Narduzzi. Too many times where uh, Pat's brought that team in to try to start a fight. They're down at 19. So, with this pit team, which you know Kenny Pickett is, is truly living up to the expectations of being one of the stars of college football, not someone who he came into the year and said, "Hey, you know this is going to be your Heisman Trophy contender. This is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the game." Well, he delivered in a big stage against Clemson. They were down a couple of their best players, and still that offense was able to get it done. It did look like Clemson's defense just eventually got worn down, just tired of trying to like continually give the ball back. Uh, DJ Uyunglele getting benched in that game. So uh, the Pitt Panthers, who are undefeated in conference play and have one loss, a three-point loss to Western Michigan, in which they had three turnovers and two turnovers on down, and Kenny Pickett got knocked out of the game. Are we more at the AP or coaches? Neither. Why are they higher? Why, yeah, why aren't exactly. they higher there? Why wouldn't they be up there with Iowa, Ole Miss, Notre Dame in that kind of category, 9, 10, 11? It's because they started too late. If they had started anywhere higher, which they didn't, and I get why they didn't, but how many other teams would go into SEC territory pretty much convincing? Like that game, the score is a little bit deceiving. They were up by two touchdowns most of the game. Credit to Tennessee, made the change at quarterback, and I know I can hear a Tennessee fan. Well, if we started heading to Hooker, well, you didn't. So you went to him too late. 
They still controlled that game. They have dominated almost every other game. They have the most impressive win over Clemson of anybody that's played them because some of these other teams have eked out wins and overtime and close, ugly games. They actually put up points uh, against Clemson's defense. They do have a Heisman candidate, uh, and I think who is making a really strong case to be the favorite right now. Why wouldn't they be higher? I think this is a a brand problem that hopefully they can overcome, and if they keep winning, they will. But the fact they're 17 and 19 and both is kind of ridiculous from what they've accomplished. Yeah, they they should be a top 10 team. Um, I have them eighth this week in my, my power ratings. I would take them on a neutral field over Oklahoma right now. Like Now, that probably won't be the case in three or four weeks, obviously, if Oklahoma gets those defensive backs back right now. But right now, like, do you think Oklahoma can block Pitt? Do you not think Kenny Pickett would throw for 400-plus on, on this, this iteration of the Sooners' defense? Like this is a top ten team for me right now. Now they lost to Western Michigan, which is terrible. And Narduzzi's done stuff like this before. But both of the like there's a lot of teams that have pretty sketchy performances right now in the top ten in that top twelve area. Uh I think Pitt should be a top ten team. I I, I do. Like they've really taken care of business. They have quite quite a good number of, of blowouts on, on their resume as well. They, they or as well. They've been dominant. I man, I'm I'm in on them right now. Coke is such a West Virginia homer in there chiming in that they haven't beat a ranked opponent. While it's true, the wins they have, they've been dominant, as Bud just mentioned. I think they're right. I'm I'm all in on Pitt, but they have flaws. And all these teams, like Oregon at times looks like it has flaws, and that is a deserving top 10 team. Notre Dame with Hurry Up Jack just all of a sudden found a new gear, but sure, like we'll, I'll rock with Notre Dame as being appropriately ranked. Kentucky uh, has its own limitations. So I think that Pitt is deserving to be in this conversation, but to Danny's point, the reason why they're on the bottom end of that uh, like good but flawed team <laughs> tier, of which there are a lot of teams. Most of them in the college football rankings and the AP poll are good but flawed teams. Uh, I think that for Pitt, defensively, they're not great. They're not. You can't run the ball all the time when they need them. But man, Kenny Pickett is uh, is one of college football stars. All right, and in a year without quarterbacks, like what quarterbacks are you really confident over over Kenny Pickett? You get one of the premier qu- quarterbacks in. in Granted, one of the worst QB years we've had in a while, but still one of the best quarterbacks in college football and a very strong defense that does occasionally give up big plays, but then it gets the ball right back, you know, maybe not the way they intended, uh, to that quarterback again. We had, uh, by the way, shout out to the NFL Happy Hour. I'll be doing it at 4 o'clock after this show on CBS Sports HQ. Ryan Wilson has a mock draft ad. I'll ask you guys because I was a little bit taken aback by this. I think he had three quarterbacks in the first round. He had Carson Strong, um, who was the, who's the best one that I'm forgetting? Oh, Matt Corral in the first round, then Carson Strong. And then back into the first round, he had Sam Howell, which my question for him when we do the segments would be, where's Kenny Pickett? Because in my mind, Kenny Pickett has overtaken Sam Howell as far as an NFL caliber quarterback this season with his play on the field. Would you guys agree with that? Or would you still take Howell younger, more upside? But I don't know if there is more upside. So – I mean, are there any of these quarterbacks you really love? Like Carson <laughs> Strong, awesome arm, but doesn't move around. Mm-hmm. Matt Corral, I I like Matt Corral. He makes big time throws. I will say, give me the only. Is there any quarterback you like that has come out of the Baylor or Baylor centric system? Because that's what they're running at Ole Miss. It's pretty similar, and they have all flopped in the NFL. So, like, yeah. how much of this is that? And how much of this is, is Corral? And I've seen Corral in high school run. You know, and I know he can make big-time throws, so he maybe he's the first breakout guy. But we've seen everybody else put up Mickey Mouse numbers in that thing, too, 
and we get to the NFL, they flop. I, I mean, Pickett runs some stuff that is fairly NFL-esque at Pitt. We know Mark Whipple like is maybe not a good head, not a great head coach, but he made really bad quarterbacks at Miami do some okay stuff, and he's done a nice job there at at, at Pitt. I'm, I know I'm kind of rambling here. I yeah, Pickett. I agree with you, Dan. Uh, don't 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 like, worry. He's about not it. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pickett. I would I would take Pickett over Sam Howell. That's the the um trajectory is not always going to be linear and there's going to be some ups and downs, but I think the, the junior season for Sam Howell is concerning. It is like, it is a red flag and an evaluation for, to have the performance uh, drop off. There's lots of context for it, but Kenny Pickett is playing better. will be more deserving of all those all ACC quarterback accolades. And he is old. I will say, but from the NFL side, I don't know. I think, I think I would rather have uh, Kenny Pickett than Sam Howell. Sam Howell's got some work to do. Uh, all right, let's do one more before we hit the break. Baylor, number 16 in the AP poll, number 18 in the coaches poll. Uh, the Baylor Bears are a one-loss squad. That only defeat came to Oklahoma State earlier in the year. They've got Texas coming up this Saturday. Uh, closing stretch includes TCU, that Oklahoma game that Bud has been mentioning for the Sooners, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. So, really already shaping up to be a pretty good year for Dave Aranda. I think this final record will be good enough that even with a loss or two, the Bears could probably still end up in that, you know, nine and three, number 24 in the country uh, at the end of the season. So as we're looking at the Bears now, though, uh, 16, 18, are you higher or lower on Baylor? feel like we're about to find out a lot more about Baylor. I think they're kind of interesting because, you know, looking at their resume, it's similar to Pitt's. I guess their loss is better losing Heck to yeah. an Oklahoma State team, but not, you know, having any ranked wins, not having like a massive resume builder. I'd probably say I'd lean more towards the AP, I guess, but I'm kind of like, well, we're about to find out a whole lot more about Baylor in the next few weeks, which is all these big 12 teams is this kind of round robin style gets the better teams playing each other these last, you know, four weeks. Chip, I'll, I'll go with the AP as well. I mean, it's narrow. Obviously, we're picking 16 against 18. But Baylor's existing schedule, uh, whom it beat for pretty much everybody except Oklahoma State, had a pretty nice weekend, right? I mean, Kansas played Oklahoma tough. Uh, Iowa State got the win over Oklahoma State in what was a fairly interesting game to watch. West Virginia went on the road and got a two-score win uh, over TCU. Shout out, Coca. Uh, and then BYU got another win uh, this weekend against Washington State, and that was a BYU team that Baylor, quite frankly, handled uh, with ease. So because of, of the weekend that their existing schedule just had, I'm going to go ahead and go with the AP. Yeah, I'm I'm more confident in Baylor's resume than I am in predicting Baylor's games and the way they are the rest of the way. So yes. will be very interesting. But wins against, to your point, wins against Iowa State, win against BYU, uh, low-scoring loss in Stillwater against Oklahoma State, Uh, It is a pretty good profile. Coming up on the other side, it is one of our favorite times of the week. We finally had uh, some time to review all of the games, all of our notes, all the box scores, all of the win probabilities. Let's get into a pun further review. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, 
Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Upon further review, a little bit special this week, uh, our thanks to Barrett Salee and uh, and Jack Crosby for jumping in on the Instant Reaction Show. So I, I want to I hear some reactions. Uh, what were some of the, the big takeaways, uh, if not – you know, something that was revealed over the course of the last couple of days, but or even maybe something that stands out from the notebook that we haven't gotten a chance to discuss in our conversation so far. Steve Adazio just stealing from me. I mean, just complete nonsense. <laughs> there, there's a reason maybe you shouldn't have Urban Meyer be your search committee, Colorado State. Like what what a lazy coaching search they did there. Uh, and they, they deserve everything they get with with, with, with that that mess. Uh, but did you guys see that? Yes, yes. plenty of time to run there and spike the ball. Instead, they run a fire drill, basically, and, and the kid, <laughs> predictably, because he's rushed, just totally yanks the field goal. Uh, so there was one lot. Did their you situation see there was coaching is so bad? He did the same stuff at BC. There was one player who looked like I don't know if it was the quarterback. Somebody went up to spike it, and then he looks over and he sees the you know the fire team coming on, the fast field goal team coming on. So he's like, I right, better get out of here. But that's what happens when you don't have a special teams coach and you assume those duties as the head coach. Things like that get overlooked. You have to step in there uh, and get it done. That was that was rid- a ridiculously bad look. When you think about, and this is things that coaches go over all the time, and the excuses after weren't a great look either. You just kind of have to own it in that situation. Say, hey, I should have been on it. I shouldn't have let him on the field. You drill that stuff so many times. Good teams <laughs> drill that every single time. You almost know exactly what the clock has to say, what the situation is. And good teams know that with a first down, you get the clock stop and you'll have time to spike it and get everybody out there and trot them out. That was ridiculous. Didn't he I throw thought- the player under the bus? Like so, it was that he, he threw the whole fast there. field goal. I think he's like they just ran on the field without telling me. Is basically what he. That's what I thought. Did he hmm. throw a single player on the bus? No, the no. Bus? I was saying the players in general because that was what I saw too. Yeah. Steve Adazio explaining it by saying no one told them to go. They just ran out on the field, and then it was too late. We had them prepped in case we didn't get the first down, and we told them that. But then those that group. Whether it was somebody doing the Leroy Jenkins, just like taking off by themselves and making everyone else follow them, or I don't know if there was any discussion there, but I saw Steve Adazio. Uh, I saw Steve Adazio as being someone that said it wasn't my fault, instead of like you mentioned, sort of taking ownership of that. Chip, you're an ACC guy. Was it Wake Forest that he did this against as well a couple of years ago? It was a three to nothing ridiculous uh, just Wake ter- Forest win. It involved multiple turnovers inside the 10 on both sides of the field in the fourth quarter. It was disastrous. 
yeah, this is not the first time that Steve Adazio has done that. You were on Colorado State. Is that what you said? Cost him yes. money? Yeah. Yeah. They, they outgained him. Huge, huge advantage and success rate. Everything else and just coaching botched it. That, like that, that's on Adazio. Terrible hire at the time. Terrible results now. Hell, this team lost to Vanderbilt. I mean, I, like they, they were RB Barton, but like, damn. Going into at the home, weekend, right? Wasn't it yeah, at home for them? At yeah. home. Yes. Yeah. Going into the weekend, Colorado State, for all of the negative comments, was sitting alone in first place in its division with no conference losses. And you could have still had zero conference losses, uh, except you couldn't get in and out of Logan without really uh, making a big mistake. All right, Danny, what, what are some of the things that stood out to you from a week eight in college football? I thought um, targeting was like the was going to be the end of me. How frustrating it would be to see players getting ejected. I've tried, and we've all tried to say, "Hey, we need to adjust this. Go with level one, level two. Now we have to address the taunting rule as well, because I'm sure you guys saw Iowa State, and thankfully it didn't impact the outcome of the game. But Xavier Hutchinson scores a touchdown, runs through, kind of looks back, and I think you could have made a really solid case that he was looking back to make sure he wasn't tackled if there was a guy running behind him barely acknowledges anything and they call a taunting. And then not only that, I get if you want to, I get if you want to try to, Hey, let's get out, you know, taunting bad sportsmanship out of the game, but then to actually, because it took place in the field of play during the play, they took a touchdown off the board. The worst rule in college football outside of targeting that I wish would be addressed, but I don't think it will be was rules like that. Like, what are we doing if we're not going to let players have fun? The NFL is trying to get in on this too. No one wants to see it. No, Everyone kind of likes a little bit of fun, don't we? Don't we like players to be able to talk a little bit of trash? I know from a player's standpoint, they love to talk trash. And clearly, sometimes it, it, it crosses the line, but that absolutely wasn't it. And I wish they would start penalizing officials for making calls like that and taking the touchdown off the board when it was just a player showing a little bit of enthusiasm during a play that was a touchdown. It was ridiculous. Are you all, oh, go ahead. Like what it should only be called if you're if you're celebrating on the opponent's sideline, right? Like mm-hmm. in situations where you're seriously likely to to cause some kind of brawl, right? If you do the Allen Iverson step over thing and it's real obvious, or like you're bending down to get in the guy's face well after the play is over, you know, like maybe grabbing your crotch while you're scoring. Other than that, man, like Leave it alone. Let these guys celebrate. We're, we're, we're in a battle for eyeballs if we want this sport to remain popular you know, long enough for me to retire. You know what? This makes people more turned on to the sport, not less. Bring it on. So I've, I've made the joke often, and I think I even made it on the Saturday Night Instant Reaction show. It's really Tom's joke. Classic chip, just lifting Tom's good copy <laughs> and repurposing it. But the Pac-12 always does whatever's in the worst interest for the Pac-12. It was one of the reasons why it circled that a Utah trip to Corvallis as you know a trap spot. But with Oregon State not only winning, but looking pretty good in doing so, the Beavers are now tied for first place with Oregon in the Pac-12 North. Both of these teams have uh, one conference loss, and they will be playing at the end of the season, of course, as we all know, in the Civil War. So I think it's time that we start having the conversation about what an Oregon State Pac-12 North champion looks like are you guys in on Jonathan Smith leading the Beavs not only into a bowl game for the first time since he took over his alma mater, but maybe even making it all the way to the Pac-12 title game? No. I, I think that they are probably going to lose uh, at least two of the final five. 
They've been winning a whole a whole lot of clothes. I really like Jonathan Smith. I think he's an excellent offensive coordinator. I think he's somebody who should be considered for an even better job because Oregon State's a place that's hard as hell to recruit to. And he's done a really nice job there. Came there with a plan. They laid down the framework. He executed the plan. They score points. They play just enough defense. Uh, but no, I, I think they'll lose at least twice more. I think it's a great story. I think what he's done is phenomenal. Um, I think what kind of my takeaway from the UCLA game with Oregon was Kim, like we're talking about all these other teams improving and now it's been up and down. And after the Ohio state game, we're like, Oregon's good. Like what do they have improve on? Then clearly we saw some of their flaws, but if they can get healthier and Travis die, keeps stepping it up or CJ Verdell left off and Anthony Brown. My big question mark with him is he still makes some throws where you are thinking, what are you doing? What just happened? And you can't win championships with that type of quarterback play, but he ran the ball really effectively. They were pretty physical. We saw Kayvon Thibodeau, like all of a sudden we saw this version of him, which is the best version as he's getting more and more removed from that ankle injury that clearly was plaguing him. Now all of a sudden, like as bleak as it looked for the Pac-12, Oregon Looks like they're kind of back in the mix. So I was kind of excited about from what I saw of Oregon in that game. All right. That 2018 game, Boston College at Purdue, I, re- I, f- I finally remembered it. That was the game where I was out on Anthony Brown. That was that was the moment. That was the moment. <laughs> I know it's three years ago, but I was like, uh-uh, not doing it. So no, I not, think- not these kind of throws. Still the I- same kind of throws. I, I'm not, not in on it. I could see Oregon State beating Oregon, but uh, Bud mentioned the, the final stretch. So Oregon State... At Cal, at Colorado. On one hand, you look at that, you say, hey, Cal, Colorado, those are two of the bottom teams in the Pac-12. Let's go Oregon State. This is still an Oregon State team that is very new to being at the front of the division title and the conference title conversation as we get here into late October. So first things first, Beavs, I think I'd like to see you go beat teams that you are better than on the road in consecutive weeks in consecutive games. But if you do that, then it sets up with Stanford and Arizona State at home, and then Oregon at the end of the season, that game is in Eugene. I could see Oregon State beating Oregon maybe more easier than I could see Oregon State finishing ahead of Oregon in the standings just because of the high variance of Oregon with it being willing to play down into a crazy 49-42 game against your rival, but also the ceiling of Oregon being such that when I play out the rest of the Ducks uh, schedule, which includes Colorado, Washington, Washington State, at Utah, and then Oregon State, I think I've got more confidence in the Ducks still having one loss by the time we get to that regular season finale. They got right, Chip. Like, Oregon State could bounce Oregon from the college football playoff. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. I don't think it happens, but it wouldn't shock you either. Yeah. Um, okay, anything else from the notebook before we get on out does, of here? Uh, does Clemson – I got to go soon. Uh, does Clemson have a quarterback controversy? It sure looks like it. I don't even know if it's controversy. No. Can Can Tyson play? Like if they had somebody who could play, maybe just sit him down and give, give him some weeks off to, to kind of figure stuff out. But they also have receiver issues and offensive line issues. I do think they need to run DJ a lot more. Like I'm sure he doesn't really want to run as that much, but like I, I would use him as more like the battering ram, get the extra blocker in there, um, help help your leverage a little bit. Like I think that's what they're gonna have to result to doing. I'm I thought that Clemson can have a good running game, but they need DJ to be a part of it. Yeah. And that's the best thing that I think maybe Clemson can go. But like to lose Brockhorst in that game too, you take an already thin uh offensive line and then we take out another one of the pieces that you've got. It's uh, 
it is uh, it is tough going for Clemson, a Clemson team that, uh, yeah, I know for uh, for anyone who's been tracking it, no, Clemson was not in my top 50 for uh, the CBS Sports 130, but someone still believes in Clemson because Clemson landed at number 40 in our CBS Sports 130 after the result. So someone is holding on to that, that Clemson Tigers rating. Big game this week. Big game. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I still have, power rating wise, I, I, I still have them top 20. What do you have the line at for uh, for this weekend? I make it thirty to twenty, Clemson. Um, so over. I was going to say lean the under at forty seven. I think that's where it opened. I had forty six and a half. I think it's going to be ugly. Yeah, it opened forty five and a half, forty six. I, I I didn't get into forty five and a half. I got some over forty six. Um, I it'll be interesting though, right? Because neither of these teams throw the ball well at all, and both these run defenses have been damn good this year uh, right. relative to their in you know, the past defense. So. I was thinking specifically the defensive lines, like two. Yeah good defensive lines that are going to disrupt everything and probably make it an, an ugly view. Can FSU block Clemson? Doubt it. Can Clemson block FSU? Unlikely. Could they have some really short fields due to turnovers and nonsense because <laughs> they're both trying to throw the ball a lot? Yes. That's, I think it's, that's very That's possible. exactly what everyone, you know, it's an old adage that when Clemson and Florida State play each other, you expect it to come down to who does something dumb. Right, like, this isn't the the be, the collection of championship uh, programs that you might expect based on the trophy cases that both of these teams have. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. <laughs> we will be back on Wednesday. Uh, that show is very exciting because we will be doing our superlatives. Yes, our player of the month for October, our coach of the month for October, uh, best game of the month and more. Uh, if you've got any suggestions, feel free to leave them in the big old bag of mail because we will also be hitting, as promised, mailbag questions every single Wednesday. Give us a five-star review, and in that review, put your question or your nomination for any of the October awards. Bud, thank you very much. Good job. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.